episode is brought to you by Slate House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. How are you guys doing this morning? This is Jeremy, recovering from the holidays still. Jeremy the Tolerable. <laughs> Jeremy the... Jeremy the sober, Jeremy the hungover, like any of these could be my name. Jeremy the lightly caffeinated. Jeremy the lightly caffeinated. Um, Coming to you from Slayhouse Publishing presents Lit Bits. See, all I have to do is look at my co-hosts when I I say it. I like that you say the name of the podcast as though it were a location. I know. That's really... Well, Slayhouse is a location. There is a Slayhouse. There is a Slayhouse, yes. So, yeah, so we, if you guys are just joining us, we have been talking about for our multi-episode season finale, uh, talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula and its impact. So with episode, the first episode we talked about, um, oh wait, you know what? Before I get into that, I forgot to introduce, like I always do, my co-hosts. So again, I'm Jeremy the Tolerable and with me as always is Trevor. I'm, uh. Trevor the lightly balding. Okay. And <laughs> Curtis the omniscient. Curtis the omniscient. Oh, yeah, he's, I like he's, that. He's, a, he's a lot That's more. That's good. I came prepared. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll change. I'll, I could be Trevor the rotund. Trevor the rotund. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why are we giving ourselves nicknames? Well, that's because we are entering into the land of nicknames today. Um, <laughs> Transylvania, which literally translates into the land of nicknames. Um, no, not literally. <laughs> I was like, wow, wow. I did not know that. No, not really. Um, but let's recap real quickly. So we're, we're talking about vampires. We're doing this whole multi-episode arc on Bram Stoker's Dracula and its impact. So the first of this series, we talk about the different kinds of vampires um, that are, are found around the world and all through history. We also talked a little bit about Victorian London. Then after that, we got into Bram Stoker's life and how um, the novel itself became an autobiography of sorts for the aspects of his life, including how sexuality was not just viewed in Victorian London, but also how it was uh, experimented with. So with like, you know, the Victorian London... uh, Victorianers wanted to... Is that... Is, is that Victorianers? Victorian... Vic- the Victorians. 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 The Victorians. The Victors. The Victor. I told I like you that. guys. Victor, I'm, I'm yeah. hungover. No, I'm not hungover today. Um, <laughs> I could be hungover today. Uh, <laughs> we can get you. We can get you there. We could get me hungover today. You're full of donuts, and it can feel. The, it can feel the same as a hangover. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they can be. Um, <laughs> the Victorians. <laughs> the Victorians viewed sexuality with some kind of blinders on, but then they. Um, actually, when it came to the practice of, of sexuality, they were actually pretty pretty rambunctious. I mean, we I talked mean, about how I, Stoker himself probably died of syphilis. I feel and, like there's a reason why the eyes wide shut orgy scene has so much like Victorian like costumery on, and it, it's because it it's that idea of like the super sexually repressed people it's who, gonna happen in a secret in, yeah, place who and in, nobody can show their face exactly yeah. who yeah. In, in reality are like these these crazy hedonists you know but that that kind of describes what we learned about victorian london from, yeah. from the last episodes um that kind of kind of yeah. plays yeah. into what we're looking at so we're going what the almost exact opposite direction because as i've as i postulated from the beginning like some scholars will say, oh, it doesn't matter that he he referenced this the historical Dracula 
And I've argued from the beginning that it does matter because he was originally going to set this character in Syria, much like uh, uh, Jay Sheridan Lefanu's Carmilla was, was set in Syria. And when Stoker learned about Romania and about Vlad the Impaler, he decided, fuck that, I am going this whole new direction. And he researched the historical Dracula and he researched Romanian customs and culture to try and get it as right as he possibly could. So I don't think we can really talk about this novel without talking about the second inspiration for the character of Dracula, the first being Stoker's mentor, Henry Irving, which we talked about again like last episode. Um, but the probably the, the most influential part of this character, which would be Vlad the Impaler. So today, <laughs> folks, we're, yeah, ooh. <laughs> Fair warning, spoiler alert, this is going to get gruesome. This I don't know is why you get... guys are shivering. I, I think Vlad was a pretty upstanding Upstanding guy. <laughs> you think he, was right? yeah. he was an upstanding he was guy. An upstanding guy. It, yeah. gets, it gets worse. Oh, <laughs> I'm just all... warning. I'm warning our listeners that might have squeamish, sub, uh, squeamish stomachs. I can't. God, I can't talk today. Is this squeamish a good day? Stomachs. To... Yeah, well, that's not you easy. Should, to say. Well, yeah. you skipped your vocal exercise. Uh, hoo, ha, hoo, hoo. Yeah, all right. I like that. That's your vocal exercise. Yeah. It's just like vowels. <laughs> it, it that's is. It. That's all I can do. <laughs> Something I noticed about the impaling uh, technique is that. Um, he did it for really practical reasons. He didn't have a very large army, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So his. So we're gonna get into all that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm no, no, rushing no. in. I'm no, excited. No, no, you're you're fine. No, it's <laughs> just I wanted. I just, already. Yeah, let's get to the impaling. That's what our. <laughs> that's right. we've got two bodies of listeners out there. One are like, let's get to the impaling already, and the <laughs> others are like, oh, I don't know about this. Oddly yeah. enough, so, the ones walk. that are really ready for the impaling are they're Russian. Yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so we're going to we're going to get in, get to the impaling, but I just wanted to give that kind of brief spoiler kind of warning. You know, this is going to get very very gruesome, Nasty. very very quickly. Actually, <laughs> don't share this episode with your kids. Yeah, don't be that. I would say that with most of our episodes, though. Don't be listening to them with, our, with your kids. Share the, the Clive you Barker can't episode with your children. This is yeah, going to be worse one. than the Clive Barker episode. For the as skeevy and as disgusting as this Clive Barker episode made you feel, this is going to like be like hold my beer. What's really funny is like the Star Wars episode, which should have been our our most kid-friendly episode was the one filled with the most jizz. Yeah, did yeah. you say jizz like eight times? Yeah. 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 Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, so this is even going to put the Star Wars episode to shame. So uh, Let's go. Without right. further ado, yeah. Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> so, intro. I, I made this joke how we, we joked about how my intro is like a Star Wars crawl. Maybe the guys can put like a, a, a mock Star Wars theme behind it or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'll a long time out. ago in a <laughs> country far. European version. <laughs> yeah. European it's version. All, it's bagpipes. It's, it's, it's just bagpipes yeah. and accordions. The Star Wars yes. theme on bagpipes. <laughs> That's right. I, uh, Dude, that would be so great. I would jump off a building. We've just invented. <laughs> we've just invented a new. All right. Like a that. long time ago in a country far far away <laughs> 15th century Europe feudalism is the primary form of government with kings and princes ruling over countries and principalities and dukes knights and in eastern Europe boyars keep the peasantry in check the plague is running rampant throughout the whole world taking the lives of the young and old the rich and poor male and female alike no one is safe like the Phoenix, the Catholic Church has arisen from the ashes of the Roman Empire to form a new kind of kingdom, one founded in religion and not politics. 
converting millions and absorbing countless other European local beliefs, the church creates an army where the priests hold as much power as the local royalty. Believing the plague is from God, whole communities rally around the church for survival. On the eastern cusp of the empire, Constantinople is threatening to fall to the Ottomans. After years of Christian crusades attempting to retake the Holy Land, the Turks have pushed back and threatened to finally invade Europe. This is where our story begins. You know, except for the bits about the Turks trying to retake Europe, that sounds a lot like 2022 so far. Kind of does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it kind of does. There's some, there's some parallel yeah. images there. Uh, yeah, there's a plague, <laughs> like a plague ravaging the place. Yeah. We all serve our feudal lords, who in this case are just billionaires. These yeah. poor people. There's a plague. Everybody cram into the church together. <laughs> pray for yeah, it to yeah, go yeah. away. Pray. Pray. Bring pray. out the dead. Gather in as big of a mass as you can and pray. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Hey, wait, that's going on in 2021 and 2022 also. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yikes. Um, so here's the thing to know about Vlad Dracula is that his reign was relatively short, um, 1456 to 1462, and then briefly in the early 1470s, and then for a few months in the winter of 1476, and that's it. This historical figure who has had probably as much i don't know would you how would you guys characterize him as a political figure like a historical figure like I mean, as far as fame goes i mean i don't know very much about him except that he was really into violence he's still kind of like uh revered right in romania in romania he's still revered i think his name as far as like fame wise is up there with some of the more famous political figures throughout history who've had much longer reigns or who've impacted like a much larger geopolitical environment like i feel like if you say like vlad dracula people may not know much about him but it's like ooh, dracula i know this and it's in part due to the novel but it's in part you know i mean there have been some movies made about the historical figures so it's like the name is at least recognizable and for somebody with such a short reign that's pretty amazing that the the name is so recognizable it's like the beatles you know they were only together for five years but we'll never forget about <laughs> yeah, them right yeah <laughs> You know, he made an impact with all that, <laughs> with say, all that gross shit he did. You say the Beatles, I say the monkeys. But yeah, it's this. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> That's another podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've just become a musical podcast. I mean, I guess if I guess if you think, uh, uh, how do you revere a person like Dracula politically? You know, how what is it about so, him that makes them go, yeah, he's our well, do you, so he's our guy. That's a good question. Is like, do you revere him or do you fear him? Right. Well, he's what is the difference? For, for I think with Romania and the way this story plays out, like there's a certain perspective where I don't think it it's different. I think it's a little of both. I think people like, for instance, and I'll get into this a little bit later, but um, the the Germans at the time already had stories about Dracula during his lifetime. So they were already like, and this is like several countries away from Romania, right? This is like deeper into Western Europe. I mean, it's still on the Eastern side of things, but it's a little deeper into the West. And the Germans are already spreading tales and stories about him. Some are true, some are embellished, but his name is already getting out there. So, so not, not only did his reign last incredibly a short amount of time, the folklore had already started while he was still... While he was still alive and while he was still in power. Wait, that's nuts. You got to have yeah. a you got to have a good PR 
campaign. He had a great right? PR person then. I mean, just that's... guys on horses going just like got, yeah. <laughs> everywhere. Like, we had, well, like the U.S., we had Paul Revere, like the British are coming, the British are coming, and he's got like Vlad, you know, he's got guys on horses doing the same thing, like he's Dracula's like, impaling, Dracula's impaling. But, but what <laughs> was still really impressive is, is that they were, you know, they were ventriloquists. They, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Se- <laughs> severed heads and everything. But think about this too. Think about this. So like, not only are we talking about like, the reason he's revered is because he was a Christian hero. He was repelling, you know, the, like I said, That's the Crusades had been going on for a long time. And people, like I, I framed in the intro, had been rallying around the church for a long time. So um, the church was kind of their whole life. So you have this hero, as gruesome as he is, on the Eastern Front, repelling and chasing off the larger Turkish army and and doing what other Christian crusaders were unable to do, I mean, people were cheering him on. They were like, yeah, be as, as dirty and gruesome as you want to be. You're you're helping us. You're protecting us. So it's interesting when, That's, yeah. when you're on the, the, the quote unquote right side of the violence, right? Mm-hmm. How much of that it seems like it's, maybe it's they weren't smarter. maybe they weren't seeing a whole lot of it. Maybe you know, out of sight, out of mind type of thing. I mean that that maybe, could entirely be. Maybe, maybe but, if they put also, eyes on it, they'd be like, okay, maybe not this guy. <laughs> but I, yeah. I mean, also, I think that um, we are talking about a period in time, like with the Crusades, for example, where mm-hmm. that that kind of like crazy, obscene violence is probably more popularized than than we would think. You mm-hmm. know, um, the death of, of a religious enemy, for example, I think is in many cases and many of these cultures, you know, something to be celebrated. Uh, as opposed to, um, you know, something to be like lamented or, yeah. or something like it's that. It's hard to put yourself well, in there. There's a lot of glorification of, of violence, I think, in the sure. 15th and 16th centuries. And we think know. about these communities being like isolated and stuff, but they had news. They had ways of news getting spread and they had word oh, getting sure, spread from, you know, they knew Constantinople was the head of. So like Rome was still the head of the, the Catholic Church in Italy, but Constantinople, which was over in more located in the Middle East. Mm-hmm was more the head of the Eastern Orthodox religion, which right. is another version of Christianity. Right. And that was surrounded by these Muslim communities, these Muslim tribes. Oh, and we have been trying to take back the we, I say we, yeah. like, you know. No, I, I, no you're, you're right. But the Europeans, uh, Europeans have been trying to take back the, um, the Holy Land and the Middle East for Christianity for centuries. Yeah. And they, they hadn't done it. And now you have Constantinople, which was not... It's not Rome. It's not the the Catholic representation of Christianity, but it's the Christian representation of Christianity. Yeah, I think. I think I just stumbled over that, but no. <laughs> Our producer's frowning. I'm assuming he's frowning at me. Oh, he's looking at something else, but I'm just going to attribute it to me. But but that wasn't <laughs> no, like... I, I think it's you're like right. They, it was, it was when, still being threatened. Well, so I'm, I'm a pitch in here mm-hmm. with my knowledge of medieval literature. Cause as you know, I, I teach a lot of world literature, but I also mm-hmm. have... Uh, a degree in in Spanish literature and and uh, you know like I I've studied a lot of Spanish medieval yeah. literature and uh, there's a lot of of accounts of um, you know kind of the glorification of this holy war right mm-hmm. the, the Crusades being a vital and important part of identity making a lot of Christians. Mm -hmm. And so we have a lot of literature that focuses very intently on the military um, efforts to retake the Holy Land. And I think that the 
propaganda machine of the church, you know, kind of um, playing a large role in the development of a lot of this literature uh, to garner popular support for these sorts of wars. And I think somebody like, I agree, I agree 100%. And I think somebody like Dracula plays into that propaganda machine. Sure, absolutely. You have such a colorful figure, such a violent figure. Right. And it's like, ooh, we can use this to our advantage. And it, you'll see throughout the course of the story that it worked. It, it absolutely worked. Yeah. One thing I want to point out is that we're going to have some persnickety um, listeners out there who are going to say, actually, his name is Vlad Tepish. And I'm going to say to you, actually, I'm preemptively arguing with our, our listeners. You pick, you pick a lot of preemptive fights on this show. I do. I really do. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say, actually... His last name wasn't Tepish. Tepish is Transylvanian or Moldovian or, or whatever the local dialect was of that that time period for Impaler. So when you say Vlad Tepish, you're just saying Vlad the Impaler. Oh, okay. Which is kind of why we let off with all of us having our nicknames because, folks, there are going to be a ton of – as much yeah. blood set, shed and gruesomeness there are in this, this uh, story, there's also a lot of nicknames in this story. But the nicknames don't really overlap, so I think that will help us keep track of some of these different characters. Right. So before I go any further, though, I do want to reference our source, Dracula, Essays on the Life and Times of Vlad the Impaler. It is an English translation of a collection of essays and books and, um, and other writings from the Center of Romanian Studies. So this is as authentic as you can get, I feel like. Um, and I brought a copy of the book here with me, so I'm holding it up in the studio, and everyone's like ooing and aahing and staring yeah. at it. And yeah, there's they're a little picture of silent oohs and aahs. They're silent oohs and aahs, and, yeah. and a little uh, painting of Vlad Tepish. Little, little that, painting of Vlad the Impaler in front. Yeah, um, that portrait is a, a little unsettling. He's got a really good, uh, like mustache. He's got a good you know, mustache. If and, you're gonna model one of your vampires on like an actual historical figure. This is the dude to do it. That's some sure. flowing locks too. Yeah, he's like, got and he's got those those nice cheekbones and all that. And that sharp nose. It's yeah. a hawkish nose. He kind of looks like um, Dustin Hoffman when he played Captain Hook. Yeah, yeah. he totally does. Yeah. You're Actually, totally right. Yeah, yeah, he kind of does look like Captain <laughs> Hook a little bit. We just you know, I was just watching. Here's the weird thing. I was just watching um, part of a uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula last night, and uh, Gary yeah. Oldman does a good job, kind of looking like the part. Yeah, a little I mean, bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the other thing that I want to reference is this other name he's known by, which is Dracula. So I'm, I'm being adjusted. Okay. Ooh, that felt good. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the last name Dracula. So there's a little bit of confusion on this as well, too. Um, the second A in Dracula. So Dracula. <laughs> that Dracula. A, a, the A means son of. So it literally means son of Dracul. So there are two is interpretations. A, but isn't Dracul like? I thought that was the like the, a name for dragon or something. It's dragon, right? Right. Yeah. It's dragon. Some people think it's the name. It it also means the devil, which would contribute oh, to like would, the cruelty was, of Vlad the two and sense. Vlad the yep, three. That makes sense. So the the historical figure that we're focused on is Vlad the third, um, and but his father was Vlad Dracul, Vlad so, two. And it was actually, they, the they think more it was Dragon because they, he was in uh, probably a couple of years after after Vlad II was, or Vlad III was born. Um, Vlad II was named Prince of Wallachia, which is a, a region in Transylvania, and um, or a region in Romania, like mm-hmm. Wallachia and Transylvania and Moldavia. These are all really cool sounding like 
like names that if you've watched Ghostbusters too, like they're in there. <laughs> but they they um they all kind of take place in the realm of Romania at this time period. So he was named right. Prince of Romania or Prince of Wallachia, and he joined the Catholic Church's Order of the Dragon as kind of a protective warrior. For... Dude, I want to join that that order. Order of like, the Dragon. Yeah, not that even cool, doesn't it? Not even because I'm super into Catholicism. I just want to be like, I'm from the Order of the Dragon. You from just, the Order of the Dragon. You just want you the know membership they, card. You know those guys in modern day <laughs> carry like golden berettas and just shoot people. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I was, I was, I'm glad yeah. you said modern because I'm like, I don't think they have berettas in 15th century Romania. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I'm, I'm talking about the evolution of the Order of the Dragon. Oh yeah, I wonder if there. Yeah, they just. If there I'm is an you. actual Order of the Dragon still out there, would you email us at editor at slayhouse.com? <laughs> <laughs> we would love to interview you for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna show up with the uh, with Matrix style sunglasses. And oh my! God. Kick in the door. Like bend around the bullets. And, and if shit. there's yeah. if there's not one, we'll just have to start it up. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're gonna start <laughs> yeah. It. yeah, yeah. Really you have to contact bending. us because if you don't, we're gonna start our own Order of the Dragon. Yeah, and, and <laughs> we will misrepresent you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on you. So we're not a hundred percent. It's really funny to me is that is that we know certain specific dates because of papers and things that were written and, and transcribed in this time, but like other things we're not sure about, like the year of his actual birth, we don't know. Um, we know Vlad II was already the prince of Wallachia. We don't know when Vlad III, who is Dracula, we don't know when his birth was, but we think it's between like 1426 and about 1430. Um, we know, um, and, and here's the thing. I, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for the pronunciation of some of these Romanian words. I did go to a website that showed me how to pronounce them, and so I tried to write the pronunciation correctly. In parentheses, but if I butcher it, I'm sorry. So I'm doing the best I can with A it. A for effort, I think. A for effort. Go for it. So they think Dracula was born um, in the town of Sigishora. I, I think I said that right. Sigishora. Sigishora. He yeah. is the second of uh, six kids. Um, his fad was his fad. His fad. <laughs> his father was Vlad Dracul the second. He was the grandson of Mircha the Old. So, see, we're already getting into our nicknames There's here. There's the nickname, the Old. I like that when he comes out of the womb, they look at him and they say, <laughs> "He was a wrinkly baby." <laughs> uh, that guy's the old, right He's there. Mircha the Old. Mircha the Old. <laughs> Just getting a feeling. Ironically, he died when he was 35. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was old for yeah. back then. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know if that's a real. That was just a joke. I know. Yeah, we, we, we I probably don't have some Mircha fans out there who are like you son of a bitch. Mircha was not 35. <laughs> he was 38. <laughs> some Mircha fans. <laughs> we apologize to all you. <laughs> they got his posts. They got his posters up on the <laughs> walls and stuff. Mircha. Yeah. We apologize to all you 15th century Mircha fans. Yeah, Mircha grandfather <laughs> of, of Vlad the Third. <laughs> they've got uh, they've got their Google alerts out for Mircha. But let's be clear. It's the grandfather that we're talking about here and not Vlad's older brother, Mircha. Or okay. his, <laughs> what was his nickname? His, uh, I think I call it later. I think he's... The he's, Handsome? No, that's Radu. <laughs> that's that's Vlad's little brother, Radu the Handsome. I want that one. <laughs> Mircha the brother. He had a little sister named Alexandra. That's way too easy. There was also Vlad the Fourth and the baby brother, Mircha. 
So he had an older brother named Mircha and a baby brother named Mircha. Man, um, they really only liked like four names. They really did, which is why they use nicknames, I think. Uh, yeah. Because that makes sense. When you know Vlad's like 12 brothers, so Vlad, our Vlad which is, Our Vlad is Vlad the Impaler, but his little yeah. brother was Vlad the Monk. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, yeah. Slightly you got, different. You kind of yeah. need it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm a monk. Not I'm to impaler. be confused with, you know, like Vlad the lactose intolerant. <laughs> I think that was Vlad, too. I think that was her dad. Yeah. Poor guy. Vlad the insufferable. Yeah. Vlad the insufferable. <laughs> That's why they called him the dragon. He just had terrible acid reflux. So as a kid, Vlad gets a traditional European, like, royal education so he's a very mm-hmm. probably a very for a time for that time a very educated individual vlad three and his brother radu the handsome uh are intermittent hostages of the turks until his father and older brother mircha are killed the father was beheaded but the older brother was buried alive that's that hardcore is like terrifying to me that's one of my fears i think is being buried alive yeah, that's pretty awful. I think um, it's a pretty primal fear. Compared to some of the other deaths, though, that we're going to cover, oh, I'm man. willing to bet that's, that's not the worst. That's probably pretty tame. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty tame. So Vlad, uh, initially his cousin, Vladislav II, is away at battle with the Turks and with the Ottomans, and Vlad briefly obtains the throne. This is around 1448. and um, So he would have been like... like- Maybe maybe 20 years old. Maybe 20 years old at the time when he Pretty first intense. takes the throne. Yeah. Vladislav learns about this. He comes Ugh. back. Uh, Vlad um, escapes to Moldavia. Moldavia? Moldavia? Moldavia. Moldavia. Sure. sure. And befriended his new friend, Stephen the Great. Now, there's a nickname. Yeah. Stephen the Great. I, I mean, like that. I, I want to be... Can I be Jeremy the Great? Or Stephen am I just the Jeremy the Okay? I would say the... I would call you Jeremy the Tolerable. Well, yeah. Okay, so that's we're, why we went with that. Were any, were, were any of these people picking their nicknames, or were they given to them? That's a that's a really I, that's great a question. Really good, How do you... Yeah. Just, why wouldn't everybody just maybe call them like yeah, Stephen the Great? Maybe it's like Hogwarts, where they had a magic hat, and it's like, a you soaring are hat, yeah. Stephen the Great. Right, yeah. You yeah. are Vlad the... Okay. The nickname yeah. chooses you. The nickname right, chooses yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, it's... I, he just... He has to differentiate himself from the other Stephen... It was like maybe he wasn't Stephen the Great, but he was Stephen the just fine stand up dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen yeah. the nah, Stephen. not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. Stephen, Stephen the he will help you move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stephen the <laughs> Stephen the just for a pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout history you can always count on a Stephen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Radu the handsome also was paired up with Radu, the guy who always buys pitches in for pizza. <laughs> I like, I um, like the idea that there's a Radu the handsome, and then there's like a Radu the homely. <laughs> Are you Radu the handsome? No, he's Radu the homely. <laughs> might, might be some hard feelings there. <laughs> Radu the jealous. <laughs> Radu the homely, also known as Radu the jealous. <laughs> Just depends on how they're feeling. I am that day. Vladislav right, right. the couch surfer. <laughs> the nicknames are like a mood ring. <laughs> Um, so, so he meets Stephen the Great. Damn, I almost lost my place there. Uh, he meets Stephen the Great, who is the son of Bogdan II. And these guys are all protected by John Hunyadi. I think that's how you'd say his name. When Bogdan is killed, uh, Stephen and Vlad transfer to uh, Transylvania, or flee to Transylvania under Hunyadi's protection. So in Transylvania, they... Um, continue their military training under John Hunyadi. 
and they meet Hunyadi's son, Matthias. And John Hunyadi, see, when, when Vladislav was away earlier, when, when Vlad temporarily took over the throne, um, he was in battle and he was allied with John Hunyadi. John Hunyadi is this powerful figure in Romanian history at this time. And um, so sometime after that, I guess when John Hunyadi started protecting Vlad and started like training the kids and stuff in Transylvania and all this, he had a falling out with Vladislav. And he was powerful enough that he could strip Vladislav of his throne, of all of his possessions, and basically just kick him out. So what's really interesting in this time period is we're going to see a lot of changing allies, not just within the boundaries of Romania itself, but also in relation to the Turks. So Vladislav, when he realizes he is no longer allied with John, and he is a Romanian, he's like, well, I was fighting against the Turks. Now I'm going to fight with the Turks and fight against Vlad and fight against John mm, interesting. and the Romanians. So there was a lot of shifting allegiances in this. Um, Makes a lot of sense too, though. I mean, feudal power, when we're talking, I, I feel like we haven't given enough, like, we're assuming we're probably focus our, our on, the, on the feudal know. power, right? Yeah. But uh, in, in the case that you don't know, your power is mostly derived by what, what kind of an army can you raise yep. from the lands that you um, govern? Right. So, uh, yeah, if a dude comes in and says, hey, you know what, I'm I'm taking your land and you don't have the, the men to defend it or you don't feel as though your men are loyal enough to you to defend it, then, you know, you go and you find somebody else who can, you know, give you those dudes and then promise those dudes a parcel of land and right. say, you know, come fight for me at the end of this campaign. If you make it through and we win. Uh, hey, I'm I'm a I'm gonna give you a farm. You yeah. know, you'll have your own place, your own uh, area, your your region, and a couple of peasants to look after it. So it's all about who could promise the biggest amount of acreage. I guess is is kind of, I, and, and, kind of and I don't even know it. it that it's necessarily about acreage so much as like well maybe sometimes because yeah. you know if your money is or wealth is, or whatever yeah if your money is from land tenancy or if your your money comes from um, excess crops that, that you sell, you know, mm -hmm. then, then of course that's, it's usually what you're looking for. So, um, when he takes away, when John Hunyadi takes away Vladislav's possessions and his rule, he lets Vlad become the temporary kind of ruler of, um, Wallachia, uh, but he sends him to Moldavia to kind of face the Turks in this kind of area. So I'm using a lot of terms here and, the bad thing about a podcast, like a radio podcast, is like we don't have the visualizations to go along. Like we could use a map to kind of really kind of show where all this is taking place. But I think, you know, I mean, just just realize that Romania kind of sits on the eastern edge of Europe facing like the Turkish and like mm -hmm. the, like Turkey and the Ottoman, you know, kind of the expansion and stuff. So um, the Turks and the, the, the Muslims in the Middle East finally destroy uh, Constantinople, finally take it over. They kill Constantine the Twelfth, who is kind of the he wasn't the Pope, but he was the head of the Eastern Orthodox. Right. Or maybe he was the Pope. Was he was he the Pope in that time? I but he Constantine was looking the twelfth? Yeah, he was Probably, in I don't know that no, because the Pope is always in Rome. Are typically seated in Rome. I think so. But, but this was a big religious figure. I, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the title of that dude would have been for the Eastern Orthodox Church. It would have been it would not have been the well, I, don't, I don't think there were rival popes at, at that point. point. So, 
Yeah. Well, but <laughs> I, I mean, he would. <laughs> I don't know if he would be like uh, an archbishop or, you know, I'm not sure what the, or he was whatever the, the title of, of the maybe highest the Eastern Orthodox Church was at that time. Right. Yeah. So, but basically that church is falling. And this leaves Hunyadi uh, as the last major obstacle to Ottoman expansion. So John Hunyadi spends a huge campaign fighting the Turks in Serbia. So there's, um, around this time, uh, Vladislav, and we're probably mid-1450s at this point, Vladislav is killed either, they have two theories, he was either killed by Vlad himself or he was killed by the boyars. And I mentioned that term earlier. Don't get too hung up on it because boyars are just kind of the ruling class underneath the princes. Oh. So in, in like British terminology, that'd be like counts and dukes and stuff like that. The Eastern, right. by the way, okay. the Eastern Orthodox Church was led by an emperor. Duh. Okay. So as Emperor the, whole, the Holy Roman Emperor. That's who it was, Empire. yeah, Emperor right, Constantine. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Emperor Constantine that yeah. the 12th. totally yeah. correct now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for fact-checking us before our listeners would, like, email us or send us angry Yeah, emails. they they would have been, dude. It, like the Stephen uh, Jones we, thing all over again. No, we we, uh, we actually haven't read some of the, the fan mail that has come in. We're, we're kind of saving some of it, I think, Yeah. for, for um, when we return yeah. from hiatus. But, man, we've... Got quite a few angry letters. We have. We're doing. We're doing. We're doing our we best. Can. We're doing, doing our, our best. best. Yeah, it's an occupation um, hazard. <laughs> so, um, there's two theories on who killed Vladislav. I I kind of want to lean towards Vlad killing him. You know, it wasn't just the boyars. I think I think Vlad's, Vlad starts his. Blood it's way blast. more cinematic. He seemed to like to have a hand directly in those types of matters. Oh man! <laughs> Sometimes more than just a hand. Yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. god! Ugh. He rolls his sleeves up. Let me get in there. <laughs> That's not how you do it. This yeah. is. <laughs> and then he grosses everybody out, and they all go, "Oh fuck!" So <laughs> around this time, also, not only is Vladislav killed, but John Hunyadi dies of a plague. So I had mentioned the plague early on. The plague is still rampaging through through Europe and through hell through everywhere. I think Asia, Europe. I mean, it, it does like, not go away. It doesn't go away, and and that was something I learned from like a podcast I listened to. Um, is that we picture this period of the plague being like ten years, but it actually in some form or other like, it went on for, for like a couple yeah. hundred years. I was, like, I was gonna say it's if it's not a, more than one century, it was certainly a century of plague. Yeah. yeah. And it was it would like come in waves, so like right. come in, like wipe out whole towns, and then leave well, and then come and, back. And, and that was kind of the thing, right? You can't treat; they don't have vaccines to treat that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, I mean, for for the most part, they had no idea it, what to do about it. Yeah, well, you, and we when that- you have such crazy rural communities, you know, a, a plague can wipe out a whole town, and then. You know, you don't necessarily know about it until you you walk in and suddenly are exposed to it. Carry it back to your I was community, listening to a story. and, and so it's like it's going to spread knew. very slowly, but but devastatingly through a lot of these these regions. Well, and I like I, I was listening to a story that said like the British knew, like they knew when the plague was coming up through like France and stuff, and they were like, yeah. we got to close our borders, and they're like, oh, and some were like, oh, it's never going to reach here, it's never going to cross the the way, and sure fucking enough it crossed the the channel well i think i think it also happened uh i mean there's there are a lot of uh like ships you know oh yeah trade and 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 ports right yeah Yeah, Yeah. so you you bring a ship on um without necessarily knowing that that ship has you know the plague i think eventually they got smart enough to know like 
Nah, man, if you see that somebody's sick on that boat, you fucking burn it down before you let it in. They to did. Port. They burned down a few. Yeah. Yeah. With live people on them. Yeah. And some of them even had like royalty, I think. They had, yeah. Like, oh. yeah. They had, like royal yeah, processions. You, you and they're just, like, we uh, think you have the plague. You guys stay right there, get the matches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. They, they, they just fire. Um, That's the height of pragmatism. They fire arrows or yeah. what? Or, or well, whatever. And we, made the, and we made the joke Cannon. earlier, too, but they really thought this was like something from God. So it's like, let's all gather together and pray this thing away yeah, through and that it's... filter. There's no telling what, how they responded to it. Oh yeah. I mean, oh, I mean, when you it think it's God, God. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go into some guy got sick. So they just oh, cut him open, <laughs> so bleed he, him out. So he died. Wow. So at Hyundai the time of John died of the plague. Yeah. John Hunyadi dies of the plague and we won't get into how gruesome the plague itself was, but that was a gruesome enough death. Um, but his brother, John Hunyadi's brother-in-law, is successful in stopping Mehmed II. Mehmed is the the Ottoman Turk, or the yeah. Ottoman Sultan who's trying to push forth into Europe. So he is successful in stopping um, Mehmed II's invasion. And Vlad, um, as a prince of Wallachia, looks to a neighboring principality, um, the, uh, shit, uh, the Brazov, and I'm probably mispronouncing that but he promises to protect them and he has this show of strength and all it told me in the the research was that he killed many of their boyars as like a i will protect the rest of you here's how strong i am and he kills a lot of ruling class like i like to think it's like a, a red wedding sort of thing probably you know, he just gathers them all around just and then, a big and event then just, just has them make slaughtered a, make an example to make a, a political statement yeah yeah so in these next couple of years, he's challenged by many pretenders to the throne. Prince Dan. I like which, that name. Prince Dan. Prince Dan. Yeah. <laughs> I just pictured like oh, here a goes really, Prince Dan. <laughs> I just pictured a really casual prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the kind of guy who tokes up before he, you know, like <laughs> yeah. goes to hey, royal ceremonies up, and stuff. Yeah. Prince Dan. <laughs> I was down in the, the, middle, middle, uh, was down in the uh, Mediterranean the other day. And I had some hot <laughs> yeah. Greek chick around you know, yeah. Ireland. Yeah, what up? It's Prince Dan. <laughs> Prince Dan coming over in his flip-flops. <laughs> With a Michelob Ultra. He was also yeah, yeah, yeah. Was yeah. Michelob somehow, Ultra. Somehow he had one. <laughs> Keep the calories down, brah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you also have Vlad the Monk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vlad the Monk and Prince Basarab, mm-hmm. which is a Basarab. cool name. Uh, meanwhile, Stephen the Great, due to his <laughs> victories in battle, was anointed Prince of Moldavia. And he was going to prove to be one of Vlad the Impaler's biggest allies throughout all of this. But I still can't get over the fact that his name is Stephen the Great. I think that's. <laughs> that's Do you feel perfect. like Steve he the Great feel a little and underwhelmed. Prince Dan hung out? They did, but they were both overshadowed by. Johnny the Awesome. <laughs> Steve Johnny Bravo. As Stephen Great as Stephen the Great was great. Johnny the Awesome was just, <laughs> just a little bit, just a little better. Something about him, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> meanwhile, Matthias, uh, John Hunyadi's son, that they had met while in doing their military training, mm-hmm. was made king of Hungary. And that that was in. We say we haven't really given a whole lot of dates. For we haven't, this, but, but all this is like but mid this is really to late like 1450s. Yeah, through the 1450s, right? Yeah. I didn't this want to bog people down later with a bunch of dates. 1450s. This isn't a history class. I mean, it's it's a history story. It's but you of, put all the dates on the it's, script. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, I did. Well, that's to help me keep track, so I don't lose my place as much. As, it's it's not making a whole lot of really big jumps. It's just kind of no. Like, it's it's like it's every really every year or so. There's there's Something like a, a bit of an event. 
I think the idea here is that this this all of this comes within the span of about a decade. So you can see like these ha- that's that's the thing. there's that's a there's a quick this. succession of events, right? One thing leading to another as these dudes are like you know thrust out of their countries and they gather an army and they come back and they kill a whole bunch of nerds and then they you know set themselves up as these rulers. I I think that what's really interesting is that like they're constantly moving, right? They're yeah. constantly making. We're his about moves. to get into the part of the story where the dates get even more specific than just years. It's like down to the days, right? And like times of year. Because now stuff is is really kind of changing. Like for example, <laughs> Vlad sends some emissaries to Brazov uh, in Romania to improve relations with him. The thing about Brazov is that they had a lot of Saxons, and they had a lot of Saxon merchants, and they were competing with the merchants in Valachia. So Bre- uh, Vlad, I keep wanting to call him Brad. Brad. <laughs> Brad. Brad. <laughs> Brad the Impaler. Something Brad. slightly less menacing <laughs> about Brad you know, the Impaler. <laughs> my, uh, my, my late grandfather was actually a Bradley. Bradley. Yeah. Bradley. Yeah, he was Brad. Was he Brad the Impaler? No. Not I don't think you, he ever impaled anybody. Not that you know of. He was just like Brad the uh the Parkinson's guy. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's pretty sad. I don't mean to make light of it, but Uh, okay. Oh, let's. I did. I did did not have a very close relationship with Brad. It sounds like okay. That's that's the worst nickname we've come across yet. Um, Okay, so Vlad is trying to improve these relations because he feels like these Saxon merchants are coming over and just stealing everything from the Valachian. <laughs> I'm, so I'm sorry. sorry to my to my dead grandpa. So sorry. Yeah, I mean, going by that logic, it should be John Hunyadi, the the plague carrier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, okay, so he uh, decides to to help protect his merchants. He's going to set up some specific times of year and some specific um, places where they can sell their goods, so that it doesn't impact his merchants all that much. Those who disobey him are either beheaded or impaled. And there were 41 merchants on record and at least 300 youths who were helping out these merchants who were killed in such a manner. And that's where I want to pause in the script. Who who were killed like they were impaled or burned alive? Or burned alive. Either one. Yeah, they were either impaled or burned alive. They were... uh... I mean, so burning people alive was pretty common, I think, burning in this Burning people alive age. was common. Impalement is what I want to talk about really quickly um, for our listeners, because we all have this image of impalement, but I'm going to get really graphic here, and this is kind of where the, the story gets kind of gruesome. It's important. It is important. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. He was called Vlad the Impaler. He didn't invent the idea of impaling people. He was just one who he wasn't even the first person to do he it. He was just the right. merchant that brought it. To, he was just the best at to it. the fore. The yeah. So here's the thing about impalement: we picture these long, sharp spikes, like twenty feet tall, and you know, people just—it's going through their torsos and they're hanging from Old it Mortal stuff. Kombat style. Yeah. Yeah, Mortal Kombat <laughs> stuff. This is not. No, yeah. no, 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 no. All right. So here's there's a couple I actually different do ways like you can Mortal Kombat. People. One, you don't have a sharp end of the stick. You have instead a a blunt edge and you have the stick just long enough so that it's maybe a couple of inches taller once it's in the ground than the individual who's being impaled. So you grease up the end of the stick and if it's a man, you grease up his anus and if it's a woman, you grease up her vagina and you shove 
this this blunt end of the stick into that orifice. Easy. <laughs> I, my I, whole I body hurts right, right with now. Enough, oh, yeah. uh, with enough l- lubricant, my, why yeah. not? My nervous yeah. system This is, is like the sort of thing that my, my wife is really into in books, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know that's that that's telling. true. I don't know that that it's crazy. Fifty the shades they're of into. awful. Yeah. yeah. Then they set the the st- the stake up right on the ground so that it's now right. just yeah. inside the orifice, and the person is having to stand on their tiptoes. So as long as you can stand on your tiptoes, you're uncomfortable, but you're kind of okay. It's when your legs start to give out. And the pole is forced up into you as you slide down and it goes into your body cavity and then up through comes, it eventually comes up through your chest or through your neck or through your mouth. And it takes hours, if not hours, it takes days. There are records of some people taking six days to die. There were instances where the blunt, even when they, they whittled down the blunt end of the stick that would go through the impaling, it was still too large. So if the if it was too large for whichever orifice we were using, then they had to take a knife and cut the orifice to make it fit. Right. Oof. Oofa doofa. Yeah. Obviously, that's how you handle that. Yeah. Um, they would use sharp <laughs> sticks. They would use even taller sticks. They would also go through the torso if they had to. Um, they used horses to pry the person's leg apart, get the oh, stick inside sense. of them, and then set them upright. So that they could. The first time I ever heard uh, of like someone being drawn and quartered, I was like, "Oh fuck, that's pretty. That's pretty fucked up." Yeah, this is yeah. pretty gruesome. This is worse. This than, is, than I, that, I think I would say I think is, of the. Yeah, imagine taking six days to die. Well, I, it's, I mean, like right. with this stick going through your body and you feel your body settling onto this. In a lot of ways, this is the same kind of treatment as like a crucifixion. Is it a crucifixion? Yeah, okay, you get nailed to a, a, a cross or something like that. It's gotta but you, be worse, right? You hang up there works. on a on a cross for for a long time before you die. I mean, that's several. We we talk several days before you're finally dead, it and most be, of the yeah. time, um, you you would it would take so excruciatingly long to die on a cross. People would come out and break your legs because, um, or they would. That's how you with that's how you, you would basically you'd suffocate. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this fee, the spear stabbing, it, I don't think was as like, that was more kind of a test to make sure someone was dead. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. no, they, they would come out and they'd break your legs because you needed your legs in order to, to breathe. And so they would, they're, you know, like, they're like, get this over with. Yeah. yeah so they go and they break your legs and then you'd actually suffocate um, to death. Lord, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, if it's, you're if you're going through any of these things and it's yeah. taking days, you're likely but, but, to die but from. But these are, sun I mean, these are very hunger, highly public. Um, I, I mean, these are are not intended to be. You, you don't go and you and impale someone just to kill them, right? You you go and you this impale someone. Yeah, it's a and for it's as a much statement for, as a statement. It's a statement, and it's as much for your enemies who aren't being impaled as it's like, look at what right. I just did. Was this something right. he did like in public, like as a spectacle? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. you put yeah, him out. Yeah, public. Yo, wait, it gets even better. Okay, are you ready for these this? These are the Man. lawn decorations. So you guys mentioned the red wedding. Well, he held in on Easter of fourteen around fourteen fifty nine, fourteen sixty. He held a banquet in this in the town of Targoviste. Um which is the town where his brother was buried alive. 
And out of revenge, and this is years after his brother was killed, but he was still pissed about it. So out of revenge for them killing his brother, he had 50 and some say up to 500 boyars killed for being aligned with his this Dan the Pretender guy. Oh, um, this is Prince Dan. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, this Dan is the Vlad Pretender? doing it. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying the Dan that he's making yeah, a Prince statement Dan. to is Prince Dan the Pretender. Prince oh, Dan the Pretender. Right. Yeah. Right. And these boyars who are aligning with Prince Dan... He's like, oh, you want to align with them? Fine. And he had them killed. Then he took Targovistan elders and had them impaled and sent the youths to go work on his castle um, Poyanari, which I think I mispronounced. But that, if anybody's seen like the famous castle Dracula, like the ruins on top of the hill or on top of the mountaintop, that's the castle that he he sent these youths these youths to work in. I'm trying to say youths like... That's the one you can like go youths, visit like right like now. My right? cousin Vinny, like... Yeah. <laughs> The, the youths. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, was you with can go visit accent. it right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't think they still have the impaled elders out on the. I'm just saying. Probably not. <laughs> That'd be cool. I don't know. What's the joke I put on Twitter? Like Vlad the Impaler uh, winning Halloween decorations for three years in a row or something. <laughs> 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 Lord. So. <clears throat> yeah. So. Dan, in response to this, Dan the Pretender, hey guys, it's okay, man. It's all right. He raises an army from Brazov and attacks Wallachia. Vlad, in response, orders Dan to dig his own grave. Then, before he kills him, he has the funeral rites read over him. So the guy just dug his own grave. He's like, okay, now we're going to read your funeral over you. And then he has him beheaded. So that's like a huge like fuck you to what this. What a bro. Dude. <laughs> what a what a dude. At least he got the fast way though. He was just beheaded. Yeah. I mean they say your head still lives like after a few yeah, seconds well, after that. Like, but you know, I would body. take that but even over then, any of this other I, stuff. I feel like about. like the cuz it's just a display of humiliation, right? Yeah. He's like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you're gonna see your funeral and then I'll kill you. Digging your own yeah, 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 yeah. the whole thing is to humiliate. Yeah, you're gonna labor and then mm-hmm. and then I'll do it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> oof, guys, oof, oof, guys, oof. Yeah. So he forced their citizens to pay reparations for supporting Dan. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he's basically a. He's extorting him. Yeah. Here's a ta- <laughs> here's a tax tax for being a douche to me. Yeah. You guys didn't come to my birthday party, so you gotta make up for it. And he burned down two neighboring like villages or towns, I guess, or the two little districts. Um, wow. <laughs> because they supported Dan, so it's like it was a big like. Was, these are huge displays. Of power. I mean, can you imagine? In uh, I don't know, maybe maybe it's because I I have the most recent national election on the brain, but <laughs> this is kind of like oh, you voted for you know Trump or you voted for Biden or whatever, I'm gonna burn your house down. This is what happens. I mean, this is basically maybe we the ought same to be careful idea. about airing this podcast. It could give like people ideas. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Change the subject. Change. Yeah, the subject. yeah. Change the subject. Um. So. The Turkish Sultan Mehmed sends an envoy to order Vlad to pay three years back tribute and send. he wants Vlad to send him 500 youths uh, mm. that had been promised over the period of time. And he was using right. them for like probably slave labor, or probably sexual, you know. You think? Of, just uh, I, I don't thought, know. I don't know what all of he's using them I for. I thought, probably well, so when I see something like, like you need to send me 500 youths, I think what that. What's a ute? <laughs> no, I, I think it's probably I it could have been for labor, but it could also have been it could also have been like again when we talk about power we in feudal lands, we're talking about 
what kind of an army can you raise? And so oh, he yeah, may have true. actually been been asking like for army. soldiers. Yeah. Right. To to uh, like, I want you to send me five hundred. Yeah, five hundred is a big number. You wouldn't yeah. want to squander that. No. Yeah. You wouldn't want to just like murder. And all of them. and I I feel like the reason for youths would not necessarily be for something like sexual enslavement or something. Yeah, that's true. I think he's really talking about I want young, able-bodied men. Who you can send army. to me because I, you know, the, right. they're gonna. I'm gonna add them to the ranks of my army. Right. right. I just assume youths meant men and women, so I figured maybe some women would probably see. Like I don't know that women were traded like that. Maybe I, not. Uh, again, in a feudal, in a feudal company, in a feudal. Uh, uh, Are you saying it would have been feudal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Resistance is feudal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I think that. It, I think it was probably I read 500 youths as, as 500 able-bodied men to like young able-bodied. young young men to go and labor hmm. labor and uh, and join the army useful youths right <laughs> and uh, you know there's a a young person can be convinced of a lot of things too yeah. so there's yeah, probably yeah. a lot of well, that propagandizing could, that could and, be yeah. that could like entirely that. be. Well, I think this is the story where it said that Vlad, in response, nailed the turbans to the emissaries' heads before sending them back to the sultan as kind of a... Jeez, Vlad, calm down. Oh, no. Oh, no. It gets better. So Mehmed hires a Greek named Karavolinos um, to meet Vlad <laughs> at the town of... I'm going to butcher this. Giorgio. Giorgio. Um, and Karavolinos brought some Turks, and he was going to arrest Vlad, but Vlad shows up with the tribute, and he shows up with 50 children. But Vlad also secretly brings an army, and he surrounds Katavalinos and the Turks. And he takes Katavalinos and the head of the Turkish army, this guy named Hamza, and he impales them higher than the soldiers. But he also impales the soldiers, and he hangs all of them right outside the gates of Chagravista for more than a year. Your pronunciation of that town has changed I think every time you say now, 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 if they were there for a year, you're talking about a site. So they die like it takes six days to die. They're all flailing. And this is probably the image of him. Like it said, he like he like drank blood and like dined underneath the bodies of like the impaled. This is probably that image of him like (laughs) dining under the the bodies. And like he lined the roads with like their bodies, their impaled corpses and stuff. Um, (laughs) Come, my dear. We're going to have, <laughs> I know, a, a nice little hole in the wall around. It's the <laughs> oh, the air. I know a nice place. The air is, yeah. smells so rancid. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, the children are the night. What new noises place they make. Between, uh, yeah. oh. Have you been to the new place between Bob and Steve over there? Oh, my God. That's a real hole in the wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> so after he impels these bodies, he begins a campaign against the Turk or against the Turks. Um, he numbers the heads of all of his victims so that he can report to the king that he kills 23,884 Turks. That is such a specific number. Okay, so, yeah. and this is this is over the span of a year. This guy must have been just, like, metal. I mean, yeah. granted, I, I don't it, think well, it, it Vlad himself like, was not the dude who killed 23,884 Turks. I mean, but he but I kind of right. feel like, yeah. He was, he was not sitting number. behind the lines going, do this, do this, do that. He was out front, I feel like. he Yeah, he was, like, involved. Well, right? uh, 
Well, and he used. I like, believe he probably warfare. did actually like kill some people. Oh yeah. I don't necessarily know that he's gonna lead the charge in an army. I don't know that any leader does that. Oh right. Uh, I think there are stories of people who next... do that because the stories are impressive. I don't yeah. believe that Vlad himself was like leading any charges. I, I think he would have directed those charges, and I. If it's don't get me wrong. Warfare, I, I fully believe this dude did slaughter some people. I don't think he's on the front lines, though. I think it's not it's not a standard battle, though. I mean, like the, the Turkish army invading is a standard army. And, and this is kind of what we've seen throughout history. Vlad knew the army that he raised could not stand against them on a strict battlefield and fight them. So sure. he had to employ like it said, like he employed scorched earth policy. He employed like guerrilla sure. warfare tactics. And in guerrilla warfare, those leaders usually do lead from the front. They're like, I'm right here with you. We're going to hit this area like this. He might have a few other pockets of, of army soldiers that are like hitting over here and over here. But he is leading one of those pockets. It's not, you're right, it's not a standard like battlefield moment where two armies yeah. clash together. Yeah. It's more like um, the uh, the Hitting Turkish fade. have come to fight that kind of army. Yeah. And he's like just systematically hitting them at different points. And I bet he right. is probably leading some of those charges himself. I mean. Uh, so some of the smaller skirmishes, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He gets yeah. to pick which one. Hitting, yeah. He, he picks the low-key. No, I, I mean, <laughs> you, don't, the you don't live very long as a dude who goes into just a bunch of fights on the front lines. I'm just saying. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing. In the Battle of Ternu, he realized he could not match the Sultan's army. He's like, I can't fight them head on like that. So he had to employ those guerrilla warfare tactics. So on 16 June 1462, as the as the Turkish army were sleeping in their encampment, Vlad leads a a an assault on them, an overnight assault using torches and horns, probably to help distract them, but also to help his men kind of coordinate where they were at. I think they used mm -hmm. cavalry, and they swooped in and they just slaughtered a bunch of the sleeping Turks, yeah. and they did not incur themselves a huge amount of of losses in their own forces. They slaughtered them. Tore them to shreds. Now, we talked about how they're not leading from the front line, but Mehmed II was there. He was in the encampment. Oh, I'm not saying that they don't, that that Vlad was not present for a lot of these fights. Yeah. But yeah, usually you hang back. Oh, you yeah. don't, I mean, you know, you, you charge into battle and some dude with an arrow has your number. Yeah. That could go real <laughs> bad for you. Imagine, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. just being the very first one to drop. Yeah, the yeah, the no, I, I think that would that would suck real bad. <laughs> they all go, Let's oh, get them, guys. <laughs> yeah, no, I, game over, I guess. Well, shit, I'll just go home. That feels like a Monty Python skin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it was so bad apparently that the Sultan like ran off, like he like retreated from the battle. Oh no! And, and his own men <laughs> had to go and get him and like bring him, like forcibly bring him back. <laughs> so like. <laughs> So it's like it's like spaceballs kind of shit. Like man, the seconds like fuck this, I'm out of here. Oh. And he like runs off, and they're like, nope, and they drag him back. They should have given him a nickname right then. Yeah, Mehmed the cowardly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Mehmed the suddenly come to his senses. <laughs> Mehmed the bitch. Ass. But after they after they just <laughs> after they slaughter him, they retreat back into the mountains, and the Turks are so terrified they they don't even want to come like chase after him into the mountains. But they keep pressing forward anyway. So the army keeps moving forward while Vlad keeps these like guerrilla tactics up. They're starving. They're weakened. Um, they finally arrive to Thervogista. I'm trying to pronounce that correctly. 
Fair vo- you you even wrote down the no. That's how it sounded like it was pronounced. I typed in in the the thing Targo Vista. Targo Vista. But it sounded like Fervogista. Fervogista. I played it Fervogista. several times to try and get okay. this right. So that's the way it sounded to me. <laughs> so maybe I'm wrong. Targo Vista. I don't know. I'll... Anyway, the Turkish army arrives at this city, <laughs> and they see these impaled bodies of. The, the guys that, that Vlad had previously impaled, Karavalinos and Hamza and those Turkish soldiers, and they're terror-stricken. They're completely, like, just shocked and, and just... They're, <laughs> because, they're, duh. You want to do what to my what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm running away! <laughs> <laughs> just like that. Oh, no! Yeah. Ah! <laughs> I tried this once with my wife. It did not work out. Oh my god! Runs away. <laughs> um. So <laughs> certainly not because of Vlad's dancing skills. So they go in retreat, and there were some boyars that were helping them. Radu the handsome was helping the Turks. Uh, Mehmed wanted to depose. Uh, isn't that right? Depose. I guess depose. Yeah or dethrone Vlad from uh, from rule, and he wanted to install Radu the Handsome in his place because Makes he sense. thought he would be a little more... Handsome. He'd be more handsome. He was yeah. definitely more handsome. Yeah, royalty becomes him. <clears throat> but we were talking earlier about how this stuff spreads through Europe, and we talked about the propaganda, and that's exactly what we see here because people heard about Vlad's victory over the Turks and, they, and over these these Muslim invaders, and it spread across Europe, and people were cheering him on. And yeah. as, impale more people. Yeah, impale more <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah, do whatever you want as long as it's not to Impaling us. is all the rage in Europe these days. <laughs> I was afraid one of us would go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Vlad impaled me twice last night. Uh, <laughs> no, fears confirmed. That was not my intention. Yeah. I, it was more like oh. the fashion moguls. You oh, know, okay, okay. Home deck. Oh, it's like, it's like the yeah, pages. like yeah. That's the what I thought HGTV was, was like, you know, <laughs> Vlad the Impaler is so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dungeon chic. Yeah. We're redoing your home. I'll take some... Uh, These were the ship, former ship peasants lap. of I'll this land. I'll take some and we'll want to decorate with this style with the little right, bit yeah. of the impaled corpse in the corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This throw rug is going to go really well with the afghani child that we just killed see how the blood on these tapestries match the crimson thread oh my used God. your enemies won't know what to think when they <laughs> come traipsing up onto your property <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> yeah. uh, medieval Roma- europe was savage ne- on the next romanian house flip <laughs> oh, God. we found the former tenants buried in the floorboards <laughs> they make great decor for your <laughs> Um, all right. So not only it's funny, though, not only were they in retreat at this point, but then Vlad like like taunts them as they're retreating. He like keeps attacking them and keeps like taunting them. So he's like adding you that just extra flex, level man. of asshole. Got to flex. I know you do. Yeah. So what happened is, is um, Radu decides he needs to face off with Rat, uh, with Vlad, Rad, Brad. Brad Brad. Brad Brad. <laughs> Brad Brad was another of my grandfather's nicknames. Was it Rad Brad? Brad Brad. Brad the Rad? Yeah. All right, cool. Okay. Yeah, you're trying to like work yeah. some uh, revisionist history in here. Yeah, yeah, right? into it. Yeah, my relationship with my grandpa. <laughs> so 
the Turks support Radu as he's fighting Vlad and trying to take the fight to Vlad himself. And the two of them have a lot of battles. Um, but even though Vlad, I feel like I'm jumping the gun here. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm right on target. Even though Vlad wins a lot more of those skirmishes with his brother, um, Radu, because of his kindness, so he's not just Radu the handsome, he's Radu the kind, wins over more supporters. I mean, Vlad, it sounds like I from mean, all the stories we're hearing of him so far, he's just pissing everybody off. He's kind he's of like, the Kylo Ren of uh, medieval history here. E- yeah. <laughs> no, I stand by that. I think. I think when you look at like this ruler... Who are you going to hang out with? Are you going to hang out with Radu the Handsome? He is a good-looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> or are you going to hang out with Vlad the Impaler? And you're like, Vlad's into some weird shit here. But if you're <laughs> if you're following the rule of keep your enemies closer, I think you go with Vlad, right? If you think of Vlad I mean, as his enemy. If you think he might impale his, you. He called himself metal. I mean, he is kind of metal. He's, he's doing all the shit he needs to do. It's like the crux of metal. Yeah. Everything he did. Super hardcore metal. Yeah. I mean. He's really into it. Yeah. Black well, Sabbath did not invent metal. It was this guy. Yeah. It yeah. was this guy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the the Transylvanian king, the Romanian king decides maybe having Vlad there because Radu is winning over some supporters. Maybe having Vlad there is not the best thing. So he forged some letters lying about Vlad's allegiance with Mehmed II. Um kind of scandalous kind of ideas saying, you know, he's really helping them and he's really going to turn on the rest of Europe. And he uses these letters to arrest Vlad and imprison him. And he imprisons him for like 13 years. And that's a huge chunk of the rest of Vlad's Whoa. life. Yeah. Um, he's held in various locations during his imprisonment. And over time, uh, you know, just some more battles continue. I mean, like Stephen the Great... Uh, Defeats the Turks and he defeats Radu the Handsome. He asks, uh, he supports Basarab, the Prince Basarab, in taking the Wallachian throne. Um, but Basarab himself, you know, I was talking about how allies shift. Basarab himself goes back to the uh, Turkish Sultan and he asks for support. So there's a lot of back and forth. So when that happens, Stephen goes to Matthias, the, the king who um, had Vlad in prison. He says, look, we need a Christian. This guy's a, a Muslim. We need a Christian ruler for Wallachia and we really need Dracula back. So it's at that point that Dracula is freed. Um, but despite his I like being, the, I like the idea that over 13 years, these guys are like really reminiscing about the times they had with Dracula. <laughs> yeah. We need to like, like, Oh man. Out. Remember back in the day with Dracula. Everything was I, I, so that guy was hardcore, like, but there was nothing finer than a sunny morning out on the impalement field. <laughs> yeah, the forest, right? Would they call yeah. it the impalement forest? Impalement forest, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I just pictured Dracula like sitting in his cell, like getting like buff, like doing like pull-ups and stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna impale so oh, many no. people and, when like, I get out of here. For 13 years, he's like doing push-ups and pull-ups and like really getting stout. And then they come to him, Dracula, we need you, and he goes. Time to get back to work. Uh, yeah. No, even better. At first, he's like, I don't do that anymore. I've got the wrong guy him. for this. Yeah. 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 No, Dracula. Surely, Dracula, you remember how to impale people? You never forget. <laughs> it's like riding a bicycle. All right. Let's go but, to work. But easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easier than riding a bike. <laughs> Oh, like man. riding a bike without a seat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, instead of sending him back to Wallachia to fight the Turks, um, Matthias sends him to Serbia. And again, when Dracula gets there, he just kicks ass all over. The, he just takes, takes, kicks ass and takes names. He's like, I came to Serbia for two things. Blood and impalement, and I'm almost out of blood. <laughs> but it's because of his victories in Serbia that he's seen again as the Prince of Wallachia. So in November of 1476, he and an army supported by Stephen the Great succeed in defeating and dethroning Basarab, even though 10,000 men are lost in that battle. Ooh. That is a tough That is. I mean, fight. we throw around some of these numbers, like... 5,000 or 500 people were killed or 10,000 people die in this battle or whatever. And it's like, that's a lot of Well, I mean, people. you got to consider 10,000 people. How big are your armies, right? Because you're raising these people out of your own lands. Mm-hmm. These are leaders who are supposed to, you know, come to your, your aid. Yeah. 10,000 people, that's, that's a that lot. is a substantial loss if you're yeah. looking to also turn around and, and manage these lands, right? Well, on 16 November, Dracula arrived in Bucharest and received the oath of allegiance from the Boyers, but he would learn that that allegiance would not last very long. On the 20th, on the 26th of November, a, the Great Assembly of Transylvania recognized Vlad as the Prince of Wallachia. So all this time, and he's finally getting that recognition that he needs, right. that professional recognition. Stephen the Great gives him 200 Moldavian soldiers to guard him, but early January 1477, Basarab returns with the disloyal boyars and they attack Vlad and they kill him. Mm. But not before he takes his own sword and kills five of them himself. Five. Five dudes. Five dudes before they take him down. Yeah. That's pretty so, cool. That's a real Boromir kind of moment. If you try that to like a, if you try yeah. to like vis- mentally play that out, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. To imagine him like surrounded. Yeah. That's just, why when yeah. you were saying like you Come didn't think you would lead me. a lot of that skirmishes i'm like i don't know man this dude is fucking no i'm not saying he's a bad fighter don't get me wrong yeah he's very crafty very meticulous in his planning but i think in that part of that show of strength is he would have to do some of it he would have to kill. i I don't doubt that he went out and killed some people at least for for his own troops his own soldiers to be like i'm not just telling you to do this watch me do it yeah i mean well you know how do you how are you if you're vlad the impaler how are you going to hold on to a whole bunch of people who are going to follow you around yeah you're going to impale some motherfuckers, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, That's what you do. I don't think they know exactly where his tomb is, but they su- they suspect it's being in the church in the Snogov minist- uh, Monastery. Uh, monastery. Monastery. I don't know what I was just saying. I really don't. <laughs> Montessori school. Montessori school. <laughs> you can visit Vlad the This is Vlad the Impaler. Montessori Bring school. your children to this school. <laughs> so they think it's in the church. In the church. Is that still standing, by the way? I think it is. That church. I did, you know, I didn't look it up, but I think it is. Um, because oh, yeah. I think that's probably a tourist attraction. Like we have. Oh, Vlad sure. Yeah, we got Vlad Dracula. I really do. I think they go said he was beheaded, stuff, though. Yeah. I think I forgot to write that down. I think he was beheaded because I think his head was taken to the Sultan, or at least there's a legend that his head was taken to the Sultan to show, like, oh. look, we finally killed this fucker. Yeah. Twenty four thousand <laughs> men later. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Um, but you know what? I mean, even like you guys talked about this and even to this day, the Romanians still see him as a political hero. Like, and I'm sure the vampire story reached their ears in some form or another. But from what I was reading, like the research I showed Dracula, the novel wasn't translated into Romanian until around 1990. So I'm not saying they probably weren't aware of the vampire story. 
but it wasn't translated so that it was mass marketed for the country until like the 1990s. So his awfulness wasn't what was uh, on their so minds. So yeah, yeah, they the they saw him as a political hero. He kept the enemy at the bay, at bay. He stopped them. Um, so when they read Stoker's Dracula in 1990, I wonder what they thought. Like, uh, well, see, uh, what I think is probably, probably I mean, they real. weren't like an isolated community. So I imagine some of them went out into Europe or came to the United States. They probably saw some of the movies. They probably, you know, learned right, of the yeah. story. Like if they were bilingual and they, they studied English, they probably learned the story. I mean, that's probably, I'm not, but I think that the, what this is saying is like the country as a whole was not exposed to that kind of pop culture reference until very, very late in the game. Right. Is what I'm thinking. So it didn't color their perception of Dracula. Right. Like right. he was still like, now that's not to say if you go to Romania today, they're not going to have like little vampire things like hanging around and stuff. I think they do, but they're playing on the the myth. I mean, that's a cash grab. For it's like, like Roswell, New Mexico with the aliens. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. I think go to- maybe to, uh, to, to perceive this in a way, right? Like Dracula is a, a villain. Dracula is the bad guy in Bram Stoker's novel. Yeah. Whereas this particular figure, right, Vlad Dracula would be the political hero. Yeah. So I think some of this, like the perception of Vlad Dracula in Romania that we're talking about not being influenced by Dracula, himself, like the fictional Dracula is probably like in terms of the reverence they have for this figure. So you think they've, they, they kind of have like separate lives. Yeah. I, th- you know, I think the, like, I think whereas instead of thinking of him as this terrible dude, I think they look at him as like, again, kind of a political hero fighting against the, um, the, the, what would you call them? The, the terrifying forces or, or you know, yeah. these, these like existential yeah. forces from a foreign land that's, you know, trying to invade Europe. But here's the flip side of that. Dracula, the fictional character, if Bram Stoker did this research and learned even half these stories about this guy, I mean, like I said, these stories existed in Vlad's lifetime, so it wouldn't have been hard for him to learn about about these ideas and this character, mm-hmm. this historical figure. The historical figure did color the perception of the fictional right. character. I think that, again, like when we talk about a lot of this, the, the perception of Vlad Dracula is probably much more oriented less toward you know like the impaling stuff which is definitely hardcore but it's who he's impaling which would be the turkish people you know and the turkish people were a much greater existential threat through the middle ages right than you know we really give credit for um one of the most famous uh authors i think from uh you know like the 16th century certainly would be uh miguel de cervantes cervantes uh, one of the most celebrated literary figures of all time participated in a lot of um, like warfare against Muslim forces in um, in Europe, right? So, and certainly against the Turkish forces in uh, as they they continued to try to make their way into Europe. So, when you have this kind of existential enemy um, for centuries of warfare. And you have a guy who stands up to those enemies. He can kind of become a symbolic figurehead for the fight, you know, against these forces that are invading your space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I think that for for these people, glorifying him as a political presence probably makes a whole lot of sense because you know he's the hero that that helped you maintain your autonomy against 
uh, a force that is at extreme opposites to your worldview. Right. Right. And what's weird is like for me, I didn't know that Dracula was based on a real person until I was probably a teenager when I found that out. And I went, what? <laughs> so, so for, you know, for some people, uh, Vlad existed as a person and they didn't know about the vampire stuff. And yeah. then for yeah. a lot of other people, he only exists as a vampire and you didn't know he was a real person. And I think in the, in this sense, you know, again, like, you know, you look at the Dracula as a real person and, and for what he stood for, you're probably a big fan if you're a Romanian and you you have this kind of racial hatred against the Turks, right? You know, you probably are really racial into Dracula. and religious hatred. Really, yes, yeah. yeah and exactly. if you don't, if you don't have any of the historical context, you're just hearing this guy was impaling people, and you're just like, well, that's right. bad. That's really you metal. Know? Like those were people yeah. that he impaled. Right. Some and, people are like, no, it's the ty- it's the specific people. Yeah. That and, makes it okay. And the fictional Dracula, <laughs> the fictional Dracula as a uh, as you know a villain. You know, may not vibe with the view that you have of like the the actual literal human being who you know lived through history. Yeah, I, I think that I that seeing those two very differently, and then if we're talking about the '90s, as we maybe expand some of our our cultural understanding and realizing that maybe the Turks weren't necessarily the villains of history that our propaganda has told us, you know, maybe our, our view of the enshrinement of Vlad Dracula as champion of, of Christian forces or Christianity, uh, maybe that starts to soften a little bit. I don't know. Well, that's what I want to talk about. Like with next episode is that we get into, um, you know, of course the novel itself at this point, because now where I think we're really informed to really talk about the novel yeah. and we talk about all the adaptions, but you make a good point. Like in the 90, they start in the 90s, uh, in early 2000s, they really start blending this idea of the historical figure and the supernatural figure together. And we start seeing that as kind of a new way to both humanize and also add a little bit of a terrifying reality to to the story itself. It's um, all it's all so rich with like literary potential, right? It really is. Oh, sure. And that all of this goes back to my original thesis that that this is you know this is why this story works on so many levels and that i feel like i don't know that's that's a a, a qualifier of literature at least as its influence and its lasting power is on how many different levels it's able to work and if you're able to make a complex story that people really enjoy then you're going to achieve that kind of literary worth i feel like i don't know what do you think trevor it's that i i mean i think there is an argument to be said or or to be had there right the thinking about what makes the lasting power of this particular story because as we think about dracula you know what is it that fascinates us about dracula what what fascinates us about vlad dracula you know i think for me what is interesting about this figure isn't just how hardcore metal he is right but I think it's also interesting that he's a political figure, a political leader, um, playing a very vicious game, right, of, of feudal politics at a time in history that is very volatile, right? And so the, the measures he takes is being very, very extreme, and I don't think I would ca- categorize them in any other way than extreme. Right. I think um, we're a political tactic for this guy to try to to codify and maintain his power, his uh, political power, 
And uh, whether or not that's very successful, I mean, his reign was pretty short lived in a lot of ways, you know, being imprisoned for 13 years before he comes back for his last hurrah. Doesn't sound like it all worked out the way he. Right, exactly. Insulate him the way he yeah. thought it would. So yeah. I think historically we look back and kind of romanticize some of the, and one of the reasons why I push back against this guy, you know, the idea of this guy like out on the front lines and like slaughtering people. I don't know that. I think that's a romanticized view of history. I think that's a romanticized view of this guy because we want the the story of the powerful ruler who is just, um, like so unmatched in his military and and like his uh combat martial prowess yeah, right that that we tenacity, enshrine right? him and i think that that what i w- want to do is is really reframe him in uh, a real actual political moment yeah. and understand that the things that he did you know the stories that we tell of this guy really should be framed in in the context of <laughs> these were politically motivated actions, right? He was fighting a holy war that he felt was important to his goals. But even aside from fighting this holy war, he was also trying to maintain and protect his power against the other power-hungry nobility, you know, the other power-hungry individuals um, from his land that were constantly looking to take his seat from him. Right. Right. It's a very King of the Hill kind of. Oh, and that's so <laughs> like the much childhood game, not the TV yeah, show. No. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think, but I think that's that's so much of of what we see in history. You mm-hmm. know, as we talk about this stuff, I'm constantly leaning back on my knowledge of 15th century Spain and the, some of the stuff that they went through and and talked about. You know, we think of stuff like the Spanish Inquisition as being this like horrible time in t- in history. It was that was a political tool in order to enshrine the um, the power of the Catholic Church in Spain, you know. And I think that what we see here as the uh, extremes, you know, because the Spanish Inquisition was very extreme. They executed a lot of people, and if they didn't execute them, um, they burned them in effigy, right? Basically, they chased them out of the country and then symbolically murdered them. Um, and said, you know, like they're never coming back. And I see the same extremes mirrored in like the actions of someone like Vlad Tepish, who was maybe 40 years before the Spanish Inquisition really kicked it. Um, but, but it's the same kind of political statement. It's the same, like I'm codifying my power through violence, um, because that's the most effective way I think I can secure my legacy. What fascinates me is when I put this into perspective and I'm like, okay, we are 600 years now from these events talking about a guy who basically ruled for like four years in a few months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that would be like 600 years from now, like in, in 2622, um, wow. people sitting around talking about, well, you remember, you know, Gerald Ford. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know yeah and and it's like i mean that to me is just mind-blowing that we have somebody with such a short kind yeah. of i say gerald well, ford i didn't go for the obvious you know I, like i also Trump think it's or, really interesting or that Bush senior or whatever i i also think it's really interesting because i i think it, i to me if we wanted to reframe this in like modern american terms i feel like this is the same kind of enshrinement of like the legacy of the confederacy 
yeah. right? Like I see, because the Confederacy was only a couple years. It was about four years. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but but you have these people who are still like intensely loyal to what the Confederacy um, stood for, right? And and I think that even today in Europe, you know, with the stories that we tell of Vlad Tepes or whatnot, I think they've had standing power because the prejudices against, for example. Um, people from the Middle East and certainly Turkish people uh, have not changed. You know, I was um, I was in a, a very committed relationship with with a, a German woman for a bit of time, and she had an intense racial prejudice against Turkish people. Um, to, you know, to the point wow. that I I think that that still sticks around. You she know, I think also that these... the one who carried Trevor around everywhere they went. <laughs> yeah. Come with me, little Trevor. I'll hoist you up. I put you in she my was pocket. A, <laughs> she's a very interesting woman. But I think that we just like lost a... the German market. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. I lost the German market a long time I'll ago. Um, I'll no, but I, I think that I think that again, you know, we look at at the fascination with with a figure like this, um, and I I don't know that I can divorce the fascination with this figure from the, a lot of the, you know, racial prejudice that I think still exists against the people that Vlad Tepish is See, famed for fighting. There's still so much to go over and so many right. stories and perspectives and context yeah. to cover. It's, right? it's really dense and trying to unpack it is really so quite Dracula, fascinating. Dracula may not be something that ever stops getting written about. Right. Right. I think not. Yeah, I think in a way. Yeah. That, yeah, and I think that as we'll cover a little bit when we get into our next episode, right? Like Dracula as a literary figure is really interesting for how he acts and interacts with us symbolically, because he represents so many different forces. He represents, of course, some of the Victorian fears that Stoker um, had or was kind of working with because of his political moment. But he's also representative of this interesting kind of supernatural, mythological um, violence. I, th I think the symbolic violence of Dracula through, um, you know, leaning on this historical uh, Vlad Tepish um, is also very interesting. And, and to your point about literature and, and you know, what makes for a really interesting or, or good story, you know, I think that there is some exchange that we get from from you know kind of symbolizing this history a little bit it adds an extra dimension to the figure that maybe perhaps either literally or subconsciously plays on our expectations i think too like speaking from a writer's perspective i'm i'm not saying like bram stoker visualized all of this as he begun the story but i think what it shows us like especially from his notes which we still have in writing this, this novel is that it came in waves and in pieces so he knew the story he was telling up front but he and he knew how he wanted to tell it but he kept adapting the story as he got new pieces of information and he was probably in fact i'm going to almost guarantee he was aware enough as a writer to say hey I see the level of complexity and what this will do to the themes I'm exploring if I include this historical figure in this new way. Like if I make him the villain, I see exactly what that's going to do. I see how this is going to impact the story and broaden the, the views of the story that I'm trying to tell. Um, he spent more time 
and I said this during the biography episode, he spent more time writing Dracula than he did any of his other novels. Like he was pumping out like a novel a year, maybe sometimes even two novels in, in one particular year, all while he was still researching putting together Dracula. So he, it was almost like, and one of his biographers said, it's almost like he knew the importance of Dracula even before it was published. And so I don't feel like we, we talk about these things and it's like, can we really give him credit for all of these ideas? And I think, yeah, we can. We absolutely can. Because as a writer, even if you're not writing this stuff down, like when you set out to write a novel or a short story or something, even if you're not writing this stuff down, you're still thinking about it in some way in your head. It's still going on. Like, how is this impacting the story that I'm trying to tell? And I'm, I'm, positive that he was visualizing all of this and seeing the complexity of all of this, even as he's acquiring and folding in new information. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure that, uh, my reading of, of Dracula, the novel, um, and, and again, you know, not to, to take the thunder away from that conversation. Um, I don't know how much the history of this figure is reflected directly in how I, I, read the novel and and how I interpreted the novel. I don't know that the symbolic resonance with this particular history is as, as clear to me. Uh, but I, I do think that it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts in the next episode. So one of the things that I will, and I want to preview with that is, um, as I've been reading through and learning about this other book that I'm going to talk about in the, the fourth episode too, is this powers of darkness and how different it is from, uh, the version of Dracula. And there's an argument that powers of darkness was translated off an older version of Dracula before he brought his published final version out. And, and there are some differences that play into this to counter your point. I would say that if you didn't feel like that, that research or that information provided enough, um, uh, uh, colored your, your kind of interpretation of, or whatever of the novel that has been published that we know of, then I can see the difference in Powers of Darkness, that story that came out. And I can also say that from a writer who has to do research for, um, for your works, that means he did an excellent job because you don't want the research to be on the surface. You want it to be as far back. You want it to feel like he didn't have to do any research at all. And if you read the novel and you're like, I don't feel like the historical figure really kind of affected the the, I don't, the character. I, to be clear, I what I'm saying is I don't believe that the historical figure has symbolic weight in mm. in the the themes that Stoker is playing with. Although I do think that the historical figure molds the character that we know, right? And and some of the characters' proclivities. Right. And I, I, I think there are especially with good works of literature, there are primary things that as writers, we set out to think about why am I telling this story, right? And then there are secondary and, and subsurface themes that kind of sprout up as we're telling the story. And I would think um, that the historical figure plays with some of these subsurface themes and some of these basic ideas. Cause yeah. uh this idea of names, this idea, he doesn't go very much into, in Dracula itself, into this, um, this, uh, like, talk about ancestry and, like, the, I mean, he does a little bit. He talks he does, about yeah, ancestry. There is some and, talking about him. No. But if, if it's to be believed that Powers of Darkness is written off of an older version of this book, then he goes much deeper into it in an original, 
in an mm. earlier draft that he eventually cuts out because I, I will I'll spoil this for you. Powers of Darkness changes the story so much because Harker going to Transylvania and being with Dracula and interacting with him mm. takes about two thirds of the book. Whereas, oh wow, yeah. it's only about a third in the in the other novel, right? And yeah. the, and the rest of the stuff of the other novel um, is shortened to like the last third of the book. Interesting. So, so there's a lot more of him playing with the count and learning the, who the count really is in Powers of Darkness. Yeah. And if that was written from an earlier version of, then yeah, the the historical figure would play a much bigger role in yeah in the story. Um, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. But I think too, I, I I do think it would it would play with those themes. I think it would I think it would affect them greatly. I mean, especially when we think of these ideas. I mean, we're coming from you know three white guys sitting here talking about <laughs> about these things. We're coming from this kind of you know this British lineage or this Western European lineage. In my case, literally British lineage. Literally British lineage. <laughs> Nobody knew I was white until you said that. I, yeah, they couldn't tell. Curtis. I could have been couldn't, anyone. They couldn't tell from your voice. Um, or that long blonde hair. You know, that was... that was. <laughs> oh, come on. You're dropping the curtain. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, um, but we have to understand that they would have seen the Romanians just as Eastern as they would have seen, you know, like um, oh, that's, Turkish. I mean, they would have seen true. them as as this like a darker Eastern kind of. Yeah. I do want to bring, uh, I think we're, we're, we're seeding the conversations for the conversation we really want to have in the next episode. I think we are. Yeah. There's, and, there's something to dig in for. Yeah. For I sure. mean, and I'll leave you with this because I do want to, I don't want to spoil everything, but I'll leave you with this. Let's look at the first major victim of Dracula. Once he gets to Britain, what is Lucy's last name? I don't remember. Westerna. Ah, oh, interesting. And in, interesting. And in Powers okay. of Darkness, her last name is just shortened to Western. Fascinating. All right. So it's this idea of the East invading the West, and yeah. they're the historical figure. Yeah. I think that makes does. a lot more symbolic resonance for right. sure. All right, everybody. Um, I want to thank our producers. I want to thank our. I want to thank my co-hosts for listening to me prattle on about this for hours and hours and hours. That was great. Like. Yeah. Um, I want to thank for all, all of you who sat through this and could get through the squeamish parts. <laughs> yeah. This was, I think, our most gruesome episode. But um, it's pretty bad. It got pretty rough for about oof, 45 seconds. Yeah. yeah. It was like really, it was, really. It was, but hey, we're talking about horror. So we I made mean, it. If, yeah. Yeah. If we can. <laughs> uh, if you're not doing so already, follow us on social media. We want to thank our supporters on Patreon. Um, we have our anthology out now. We have our first novel yeah. out now. We've got submissions page up for 2022. So you know what we're looking for. Please don't send us, um, you know, please pay attention to our submission dates. Um, we're going to be at StokerCon. At least one of us will be. Uh, I would like the others to go, but they're all just like shunning me. And, you know. <laughs> Other than that, I want to I wanna thank you all for listening. So we'll see you next week. Bye.